get them out, open them up, or turn them on. Uh, we, am I singing again? Here we go. We are going to be in three passages today. We're going to start out in Hebrews 11, then we're going to go a couple pages over to James chapter 1, and then we will land at Matthew chapter 6, uh, starting a new series today, the Amen series, where we're going to be looking at prayer and looking at some of the great prayers of the Bible and trying to gain a greater understanding as to how we can have a relationship with God through prayer. Uh, recently, the Gottman Institute Uh, released some new research in which they discovered something that is very important to those of us who desire to have meaningful relationships. And this research shows that people who have meaningful relationships that have depth are better at zoning out, keeping others at arm's length, and never giving in, right? You think that's what the research showed? I'm joking. They discovered (laughs) that couples who stayed together for at least six years after marriage are better at one thing, and that one thing is turning towards rather than away. And so they they tried to measure this in, in a scientific manner, and they discovered that couples who were still together six years after marriage, turned towards one another 86% of the time, and couples that didn't make it to the six-year mark turned towards each other only 33% of the time. Now, this same research can be applied to pretty much any relationship, whether you're talking about having meaningful friendships having meaningful relationship between you and your parents or between you and your child or even meaningful relationships with you and your neighbors. You see, every day in your relationships that you have with people, you have what you experience uh, and even desire, what we call bids for connection. These are moments where you're trying in some way to connect with another human being. Well, okay, not everybody in the room has this desire to connect with other human beings, but most of us have some desire to have strong relationships. So these bids for communication, they, they, can, be, uh, they can be small things. Like it can be your spouse saying, hey, come look at the squirrel out here digging in the ice for acorns. Go, little squirrel, you can find food as I sit here in my warm house. But, but that little invitation to come look at the squirrel is actually a bid for connection. It could be something like, hey, can you stop by the store and get some hamburger helper on the way home? Uh, or a text where somebody shares with you a funny pic, uh, a friend or uh, somebody that Uh, says, hey, hey, check this out, and they're wanting you to respond. They're wanting you to connect with them, and so they've sent you that text because they're, they're wanting to engage with you in some way. Maybe it's your child coming up and saying, hey, Dad, can you help me with my schoolwork? A bid for connection is some invitation to spend time together. 
It can be a, a gesture of appropriate affection. It, I know this is hard for us to imagine, but some people need hugs. Some people, you know, in a marriage relationship, you need to kiss and share affection. And so those bids for affection can also be bids of connection. And when these bids of connection happen, then what the research showed is that there's three ways that we can respond. We can turn towards the person, which means that we are paying attention to the person, and we're engaging positively to their bid connect for connection, which might look like this. Oh, there is a squirrel outside, isn't there? Okay, you've turned towards at that point. Or you can turn away, which means you ignore, you miss the moment, so you're sitting there doing some work, and they say, hey, uh, check this out, and you're like, not right now, not checking it out right now. And in your mind, it might just be a neutral or a non-response, but to the person who's trying to make this bid, connect, bid for connection, which might be your child or a friend of yours, it's received as negative engagement. And then the third way is you can turn against. Now, this is when someone's trying to get your attention and they're doing something to try to engage you and you pay attention to them, but you engage negatively to their bid for attention. So, uh, you might say something back that is argumentative or hurtful, judgmental, or maybe you don't say anything that is really mean, you just say it in a harsh or condescending tone. Does that ever happen to anybody? Yeah, so this is, this is huge, right? So if there's one thing you can really do, one thing you can really do to improve the relationships in your life, this is gold, okay? Here's what you can do. Eliminate annoying people from your life. You just eliminate annoying people from your life and all the relationships improve. Okay. Here's what, here's what the research actually showed. If you will consistently turn towards those bids for connection from the people you love. So when people in your life are trying to reach out to you, they're trying to engage you some way. Turn towards rather than ignore. Turn towards rather than turn away. And when you turn towards, don't turn towards an anger or condescending language, but turn towards with engagement. And so as we begin this new series today on prayer, and we begin to look at uh, some examples of prayer in, in the Bible, uh, I have discovered that many people are afraid of prayer because they feel like they don't know how to pray. And prayer is building our relationship with God. So when we pray to God, we are making a bid for connection with our Heavenly Father. We are approaching Him to communicate with Him. And one of the great things about God 
is that he does not turn us away or turn against us when we pray. Look at this verse here in Hebrews chapter 11. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now that, the first part of that verse is just huge. And if you read the chapter, it's the Bible Hall of Fame on faith. And you see all these examples of people who lived their life in faith. And we miss this sometimes because we want to please God. We want to have a good relationship with God. But the Bible tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So what is God looking for from me? He wants you to place your faith in him. And then it says, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists. And then there's this interesting line that we almost miss within Hebrews eleven six because this is a coffee cup verse right here. Right? This is one that you put on the coffee cup or the t-shirt, right? And we almost miss this last part. That he rewards those who seek him. Now, it's not necessarily talking about the fact that he's going to give you that financial bonus or, or something like that, that he rewarded. I sought God today. I had a good prayer time, and so now I'm expecting this deposit in my bank account. But God rewards those who diligently seek him because they experience his presence. They experience his love. They experience his strength, his calm. They experience God within their lives. And when we come to God in prayer, when we make that bid for connection with our Heavenly Father, He does not turn away and ignore us, nor does He turn against. God turns towards His children as we turn towards Him. And so He invites us to diligently seek Him, and when we do, He turns towards us. Now, go a couple pages over to the book of James, James chapter 1 and verse 2. Here's where the Bible gives us this counterintuitive thought in verse 2 that we're con to consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Not many of us in the room consider it joy when we face great trials. And I'm not preaching to you that you need to have this attitude that says, ah, I just want a good trial tomorrow. I want to live life as painfully as possible. I don't think that's the idea here. But when your life goes through great trials as a Christian, we understand that there is purpose. Joy in the Bible is always connected to the divine purposes of God. So as a Christian, when we find ourselves going through trial, we can still have this deep reservoir of joy even in the midst of the trial. Why? Because we know that this difficult moment is testing our faith. And so these moments of trial, these moments of struggle become a stage upon which the authenticity of your faith is demonstrated. And others are watching as you go through those trials. It tests your faith. It produces endurance. 
And as you continue to step forward on faith, as you continue to take the next steps and trust God and relate to God, this endurance is built within your life and it has its full effect so that you may become mature and complete and God can use you and he he, he, He has taken you and He has molded you and He has made you into His child for His glory. And then there's verse 5. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, you ever had this situation in your life, I just don't know why that's happening. I don't know why it unfolded this way. If any of us lacks wisdom, if we can't see things from a godly perspective, if we're struggling to understand, James says, go ask God. Go talk to God. Draw near to him in prayer. Now, here's the part of verse 5 that sticks with me. This is the part that really lands deeply in my soul. Who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly. Now, here's the reason why this hits me so hard. Because you can go to someone and say, hey, I don't understand this. Can you help me to understand this? And they respond to you like, you're not very bright, are you? What's wrong with you? Why don't you know this? Why, have you ever experienced that? You have a problem, you have a need, you don't understand something, and so you go to somebody trying to help, trying to get some wisdom, and they look at you and they're like, what's wrong with you? Or they have the information and they're like, no, it's mine. You can't have this information. And the Bible says here that whenever we make that bid for connection to the Lord, whenever we go to him and we're asking for wisdom, that he doesn't, go over, he doesn't look at us and go, no, this is mine. I'm going to hoard it. Instead, he's generous. He wants you to have his perspective. He wants you to have his presence. And when we draw near to him, and we're needing this wisdom, needing this strength, the Lord blesses us with his wisdom. When we come to God seeking wisdom, He doesn't scold us for our lack of knowledge. He gives us his presence and he gives us his wisdom generously. So let me ask you this question. How does it make you feel that the God of the universe invites you to have an ongoing conversation with him through prayer? How does that make you feel? I mean, that's pretty spectacular. The God who created you, the God who sustains everything, invites you to know him. He is not just a cosmic force. He's not some unknown, ambiguous deity out there. He says, I want to be your heavenly father, and I invite you to come to me and talk to me. Well, what is prayer? What is prayer? Prayer is more than an emoticon. Am I saying that right, emoticon? Yeah, I'm trying to get hip and up with the ages, right? So a lot of times for us, prayer is just somebody puts up a need on social media or, uh, um, you know, text us a need, and so we just put the prayer emoticon in there. And we, we, we prayed at that point, right? Prayer is more than that. It's more than just a cliche. Oh, well, we're praying for you. We're yeah, we're, we're praying for you. Relationally, prayer is actually one of the ways that we tell each other, I love you. Whenever someone 
comes to your life group and says, we have this need, and, and we're bringing this prayer request before you. Uh, when, the, when the life group takes time to pray for one another, when we take time to pray for one another, it's one of the ways that we as Christians say, I care about you. I love you. Now, I don't have all the answers, but let's go to the Lord together and pray about this. And many of us can testify that when you've gone through difficult times in your life, knowing that there was somebody out there that cared about you and would pray for you made all the difference. Anybody have that testimony? Yeah. When we pray for one another, we are loving one another. Prayer is also more than just presenting your wish list to God. Lord, here's what I want. What? And then my, one of my personal favorites is when we start uh, quoting Scripture in order to corner God. All right, Lord, I'm going to start quoting Scripture now in order to put you in the corner to where you have to do exactly what I want you to do. That's not prayer. A part of prayer is bringing your wishes to the Lord. But prayer is so much more than just did it work or did it not work. Here's my list. God, go do it and come back whenever you get the list fulfilled. Who's God in that scenario? You are. Prayer involves waiting, listening, remembering, affirming, pleading, petitioning, thanking, confessing, worshiping. Through prayer, I share my heart with God, and I open my heart to receive the Father's love and guidance. When I come to the Lord in prayer, I am making a bid for connection with my Heavenly Father. And the Heavenly Father doesn't push us away or ignore us. He turns towards. He invites you to pray and to talk to Him. Do you turn towards God and make bids of connection with the Heavenly Father? Is this something that's part of your life? A few years ago, my washing machine went out. So I did what any suburban man of 2018 would do. I consulted YouTube because you can learn anything on YouTube, right? So I was like, I'm going to figure out how to fix this washing machine. And so I, I turned it upside down, and I got my tools out, and I tried to fix it. And that's when... I really broke that washing machine. I, I broke it bad. Like the wires broke. I was like, this is not good at this point here, okay? So finally, I, I break down and I call a friend of mine who's an appliance repairman. And he walks in and I'm like, hey man, how you doing? Doing all right? And, and before we really even get into the washing machine, he looks at my wife, Stacy, and he tells her, he says, next time something breaks, have Lash call me before he tries to fix it. Now, nothing makes you feel like a man like that, right? You know, I would love to be handy, but I didn't grow up in Arlen, Texas with Hank Kill for a father. I didn't grow up in that environment where, you know, hey, son, let's go fix this thing. Go, All right, Dad, let's go fix it. I grew up playing Pong and Donkey Kong, <laughs> and sitting through long sermons three times a week. That's how I grew up, you know. That, that, was, my, that was my world. And, and so one thing that I often hear from people 
when we're talking about prayer is this lash, I just don't know how to pray. I didn't grow up in children's church with Mr. Patrick. I didn't go to camp with Miss Amy. No one's ever taught me to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, the disciples come to Jesus and they're like, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gives us what we as Christians often call the Lord's Prayer. And then sometimes it's also called the model prayer. So as we're wanting to learn how to pray, this prayer becomes, it becomes a, a guideline for us, a, a reference point where we can go and see how Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, the Lord's Prayer. And when I was in junior high football for the Keller Comanches, Coach Price would come out with his bike coaching shorts and his blue shorts and his white shirt with Keller on the front of it, and he would say, all right, boys, everybody take a knee. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. Anybody have a coach like that? Yeah. So what I want us to do is say the Lord's Prayer together, okay? Now, I realize this, you probably memorized it in whatever translation you grew up with, so let's just say it as it is on the screen, okay? So let's say it all together here on the count of three, a one and a two and a three. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So that is the Lord's Prayer. And the great reformer Martin Luther taught us that we could frame your prayer time with the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. And so keep that on, on the screen here and, and think about this as the various parts of the Lord's Prayer, they can become a framework for you to pray. So tomorrow morning, or tomorrow night, depending upon how you're wired, I'm going to encourage you to have a prayer time, to have a time of prayer in your life. Now this may be something that you've been engaging in for a long time, and so prayer is like second nature to you. But it may also be something that is not really a big part of your life or you're learning how to do. And so let's talk about how to have a good prayer time. You can take something like the Lord's Prayer and use it as your reference point. Start out just by reading it, like we did. And then work through the sections. So the first section, Our Father in Heaven, Your Name Be Honored as Holy. So as you have your prayer time with the Lord, you can pause there and you can just start thinking about who is God. In fact, I encourage you to uh, have a notebook or maybe you use the notes app on your phone or something like that, but to keep a prayer journal. And in this prayer journal, in this time where it's just you and God talking, you can write down some thoughts about who God is. Perhaps you even look at some scriptures that talk about the, mag the majesty and the glory of God, and you read some of those scriptures at that time. It's also a wonderful time. You can build your scripture reading into your prayer time. 